0: And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, Heal Yourself. in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, and in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their mist, he went away.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. My name is Albert. I think Jesus would have definitely been a featured guest on NPR or on Larry King. Um, But, you know, back in his day, there was just nothing like that. Uh, NPR would be around centuries later. Larry King was just born, so... um, but it was certainly news that Jesus was in town, right? There's no doubt, you know, Jesus is in town. And, and so this buzz was, was circulating around the air about, about this carpenter who turned like awesome preacher and that he was going to attend the synagogue of his own hometown. And the Bible tells us that he made quite an impression around Galilee before he came down to Nazareth. And so the word got out that Jesus Jesus was the man, like, You've got to hear this guy talk. You've got you to gotta hear this guy preach. So here we are, verses 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus was on tour around Galilee, and in verse 14 we read that he returned in the power of the Spirit. And this gives us a glimpse as to why Jesus was, was so influential, why he was so uh, powerful, that he had the power of the Spirit, and he grabbed the attention of the entire Galilean countryside, and he grabbed their admiration. So if he had such an impact on Galilee and that entire region, one would expect that when he was going to come back to his hometown of Nazareth, that he would get quite a reception. You would think that, Right? And we'd we'd expect this hero's welcome, right, with all the banners rolled out and the local high school band out there and and the key to the city being presented. And you would expect this. And it was customary for uh, this new entrance to a city to be built up if a a person of prominence was, was going to come to the city. So like some high visiting political official, they would build this new entrance to the city for them. So how much more for the Messiah? So perhaps a plaque commemorating that Nazareth, this is the hometown of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. So in reading this for the first time, we'd, we'd probably expect that Nazareth would, would rally around Jesus. That they would actually welcome him with a hero's welcome and send him out with a, with a, with a hero's uh, blessing to fulfill his mission and it wouldn't be out of the question to think that since this is the first reaction of Jesus from the folks from Nazareth uh, that He received this awesome kind of reception from Galilee, we would expect that He would receive a similar thing from the people at Nazareth. His own hometown. Because we all get excited about people that come from our own hometown, Right? Like, oh yeah, that guy used to play in my high school, or that guy came from my hometown. And and we get excited about these things. But when what Jesus said implied something different from their preconceived ideas, rather than gaining their admiration, they showed Him their disapproval by running Him out of town with the intent to to kill Him. Jesus' preaching caused a dramatic response. How did this Galilean countryside carpenter cause such an uproar with his preaching? When we truly understand who Jesus is, what Jesus is saying, why He came, it is impossible to remain on the fence when it comes to Jesus. You can't be on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Some people here may be on the fence with Jesus where you're not completely sure where you stand with Jesus or or where where Jesus stands in your life. But Luke chapter 11, verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And those are Jesus' words. Because there is no neutral zone with Jesus. A choice is made against Jesus if you're not with him. There is no neutral ground there. If you don't decide, you've decided. A decision is made even if you don't actively make one yourself. Now, a few weeks ago, we summarized Jesus' ministry as going up to Jerusalem. Right to, to, die for the, to die on the cross for our sins, that, that was His ministry in summary. That was why He came. But before that journey to Jerusalem, Jesus taught the Word of God and He proclaimed the message of the Kingdom of God. And we'll talk more about this in detail next week, uh, verses 42 and 44, but I just want us to skip there really quickly so we can read verses 42 through 44. Now when it was day, He departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Everywhere Jesus went, he went preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching is an important value here, it's something that we value, it's a central part of regeneration. I recognize that preaching is essential to the church. And in my preaching, I am also preaching to myself. In my preparation, I'm also looking at myself a lot of times. And it's not something to be taken lightly. I actually have a preaching coach that gets videos of my sermons to, to help me with this ministry. And I'm also recruiting a, another professor to, to do that for me. But maybe he's fallen asleep as he's playing my stuff. But And, and so... While my ministry is not to put you to sleep, it's also not to entertain you either. A major point of preaching is to meet Jesus. And to be faced with a decision. To to make a choice. An everlasting choice. And how will people come to know Jesus unless they listen? How will they listen if no one preaches? How will someone preach unless they're sent? So you see, preaching... Preaching will not go on forever. And I know some of you are saying, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> preaching won't go on forever. Right? There's going to come a time when, when preaching will stop. right? And there will be no one to preach Jesus as we have the fortune of being here this morning. That sometime in the future, that our time is limited, it's not an indefinite period of time where the preaching stops. Verse 16, And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now picture this in your mind, okay? On the Sabbath day, there was a time of worship and teaching, right? And a synagogue, a synagogue was comprised of ten families. You didn't have a synagogue unless there were at least ten Jewish families. Believing uh, God, believing families in that city, and so at synagogue the law was read, the prophets were read, and it was a customary thing for for a distinguished guest that that stepped into the synagogue to speak when they were visiting. And sometimes we do this at our church as well, right? When when a guest missionary comes that we've been supporting comes in, and and we often ask them to teach or we often ask them to share, and we find this in the Book of Acts as well. It, it, it happens in the Bible. It happens in our church. Now. Why did Jesus go to synagogue? I mean, isn't that interesting? Because uh, if anyone didn't need church, it's probably Jesus. Why did He go? Cute girls? To be entertained? To be a consumer of religion? To, to see and hang out with old friends, but not be apart? Just you oh, know, I just want to see my old friends. I just want to be there. To catch up on what's going on with the church? There wasn't any of those reasons. None of those reasons. Jesus went to synagogue as was his custom. That's interesting. Jesus went to the synagogue because he went to the synagogue. He went because he was committed to going. That's what he did. He didn't go find ten families to start a new synagogue because the church is full of hypocrites. That that teaching is awful. That that music is awful. That fellowship there. That community there. They they just don't don't have things right. I need to start my own thing. I'm going to start my own little fellowship group. I'm going to start my own little Bible study. I'm going to do whatever. People go to church or not go to church for all sorts of reasons, right? Why not go to go? Even out of custom? Even if I don't feel like it? Yes. You mean you don't have to feel like it? No. Just go. Right? It's essential to go regardless of your feelings, regardless of how you feel about things, regardless of how you view things. Do you think I feel like being here all the time? Do you think I feel like being here every Sunday? I don't. Quite honestly, most of the time, yes. Sometimes I don't. This morning, yes. Even though it's a beautiful day, I do feel like being here. So hey, so for for those of you who come, whether you want to or not, I commend you. I applaud you. I applaud you for I applaud those of you who come to the prayer meetings, whether you want to or you don't want to, for attending small groups, whether you want to or you don't want to, for starting small groups, whether you want to or you don't want to. You go to go. As was his custom. There are no brownie points given here. Although last week, I have to share this. Last week at the prayer meeting, I did bring some sale Betty brownies. And um, so at the prayer meeting before last, the, the, the evening service, and if you didn't show up, thank you. I had, to, I had two. So, because those are some delicious brownies. And I'm not telling you when I'm bringing them next. Anyway nothing special about Sunday or any other days that we have stuff going on around the church. Just that we're here. And that's why we're here. To be here. That's why we're here. And because Jesus was at that place to be there on that day, an opportunity arose for Him to say what He said. It wasn't anything special. It was as was His custom. So let's not be a church of consumers. Like just shopping around for for just the right thing, or a church coming for whatever reasons outside the reverence of God and outside our duty as disciples of Jesus, as was the custom to be here. It was customary for Jesus to go to the house of worship. He gave us an example to follow as a a worshiping participant amongst God's people. Verse 17-20. through This is out of Isaiah chapter 61, and it's describing the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Lord's Anointed One, who was sent to His people, who were to be anxiously awaiting for His arrival. Now you recall, Luke chapter 3, verse 15, now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. See, those people were in expectation, This is not a surprise to them. They were expecting this, especially here in Nazareth. They're expecting this, especially those in that synagogue. They knew where Messiah was going to show up. They knew Isaiah 61. They knew all those messianic type of prophecies. So can you imagine in that day? Can you just picture it in your mind? Jesus stands up to read verse 16. The scroll was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written. Verse 17, he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back. He sat down. Verse 20. Do you have that whole action sequence in your head? All that stuff that just happened? Can you picture that in a movie? Now as you you as the director, now, now pan on all the eyes of the audience as they're just fixated on Jesus. They're fixed on Jesus. Probably some of them with their jaws dropped. Probably some of them with their eyes really wide open. No one was tweeting. No one was texting. No one's playing with plastic things. All eyes fixated on Jesus. Why? Because he's about to start. He didn't end there. This is where his sermon starts. This is where his message starts. And you notice in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. This doesn't mean he's finished. This means he's about to start. The teacher sits. Right? So the position of the teacher was to sit, and we use that in our academic circles today when someone takes the chair of the business department at UC Berkeley or takes the chair of the English department at Mills College. So here we have Jesus taking the chair, and all the eyes are on him all the people in the synagogue, all their eyes are fixed on Him. They're waiting for what He's about to say. Now Luke didn't record everything Jesus said there because there's no doubt Jesus said more than just verse 21. But let's just go on and read verse 21. And He began to say to them, Today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what Luke does is he just kind of sums up the teaching for us. And Jesus, the this, this son of, of Joseph, the carpenter, and the son of Mary, the mom who had this ruined reputation... Claims to be Messiah, the Christ, and Jesus, a carpenter himself. He declares himself to be the hope of humankind for all of time and the fulfillment of prophecy. In verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So you notice that initially they spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words. They they thought that the good news Jesus was sharing was just absolutely wonderful. It was absolutely beautiful that his words were just magnificent words. That he had these gracious words. And you look back to verse eighteen: The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Aren't those just beautiful words that Jesus was speaking? That was truly good news, especially for the poor, especially for the captives, especially for the blind and the oppressed. Now, there there are some folks who have taken this too far and they made the good news all about just being the social gospel. And that, that, that the social gospels are, are, are things that are done in intangible and physical ways. And I'm all for doing the gospel in tangible and physical ways. I, I think it's evidenced by what our church does for our community and our communities abroad. I, I don't think anyone can argue that about our church. I think we are very strong proponents of a social gospel. But I'm not for it in the absence of the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not for that. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed by the Spirit of the Lord. The way Jesus ministered to the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, was through an anointing of the Spirit of the Lord. It was primarily spiritual. And sure, there was this physical manifestation of that, but it didn't start in the physical realm. It started as a spiritual work, and it worked its way out that way. Remember that. Remember that. Don't rely on your flesh to do good works. It is a spiritual work. It starts in our spiritual work, including the service towards these social injustice issues, starts out of the spiritual realm does not start out of your flesh. It's primarily a spiritual issue. So how we need the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. this This is more than just physical poverty here. We need to understand our spiritual poverty. We need to understand that more than we need to understand physical poverty. It's easier to recognize physical poverty. It's easier to try to resolve that issue because you can actually do something there. But we need to recognize spiritual poverty first. How else will we know the fullness, the full richness of Jesus without understanding how broke we are spiritually? We're broke spiritually. If if we are to understand and to preach spiritual poverty, and we fully understand that we will gain the full richness of Jesus in us. But if we simply minister to physical poverty and and physical tangible needs, we still lose out on the richness of Jesus. And it's obvious that Jesus ministered to the poor, both spiritually and physically. There's no debate there. You read it all over the Bible. It's, It's extremely important to minister to the physical needs of the poor. Interesting thing is the difference in reaction we see from the poor and the rich. Jesus did say in Luke chapter 18, verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, riches can be an obstacle to the kingdom of God. And it's not that poverty guarantees spiritual insight, but generally speaking, it's not as large of an obstacle to be In poverty, than it is to be rich. Because if that wasn't so, why are the poor so much more receptive to Jesus than the rich in the Bible? I'm not even talking about it in in our. It's true presently, too. But if you just read the scriptures, it's true there. Why is that? I think it's because riches allow for mobility, right? There, There are fewer boundaries when you're rich. Until your riches bump up against the gates of heaven. Because right there, you can't buy your way in. You can't buy an entrance ticket to that. Admission into the kingdom of God. That's not something that's for sale. So what is good news for the poor is is bad news for folks like the rich young ruler referenced in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark 10. Who decided not to do as Jesus told him. But notice that it isn't just about physical riches, riches. because someone like, like this conniving tax collector named Zacchaeus has his life changed by Jesus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was richer than most, he was a tax collector, but he encountered Jesus and Jesus changed his life. He was able to recognize his spiritual poverty and he ended up giving back what he had stolen from the people, according to Levitical law. He, he just... He went back to the law. He gave back what he needed. Jesus' good news is also bad news. It's bad news for the arrogant religious man, a Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But it was good news for the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who had five husbands and this live-in boyfriend who was out getting water in the middle of the day all by herself so that she didn't have to face the ridicule and the abuse of other women in town. It was bad news for the criminal on the cross next to Jesus in Luke chapter 23 who was just railing at Jesus. It was good news for the criminal on the other side who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because what what could a criminal who was dying on the cross next to Jesus offer Jesus? What could he possibly physically, tangibly do? What could he possibly contribute towards a social injustice issue? he, He was about to die. There's nothing he could do physically except die. He's dying. There's nothing to contribute towards a social cause. All he could do was ask Jesus to remember him. It was entirely spiritual. There are some here who may not have experienced the Spirit of the Lord and, and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, even though you've heard the Gospel over and over again, whether it's here or another church or, or your family or friends or whatever. Preaching the good news is the responsibility of the preacher But the responsibility is not entirely on the preacher. There is a responsibility from the listener to acknowledge that you are poor. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. To acknowledge that you are spiritually impoverished. That you are in spiritual poverty. And this is good news for those who acknowledge that they are poor in spirit, but bad news for those who don't. Jesus offers good news to the captives. Those who are in prison, those who are enslaved, those who are in bondage. And the ultimate imprisonment, the ultimate bondage, the ultimate slavery is to that of sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What gracious news for people who are trapped in their addictions, in their habitual sin. What beautiful news for those who are ensnared in the clutches of lust. What wonderful news for people who are wrapped in the clinches of resentment, bitterness, jealousy. What magnificent news for those who are sucked into a life of lying and stealing if there were any way out of this bondage, this enslavement, it's Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. It is the Gospel that proclaims liberty. Our Gospel proclaims freedom. Only the Gospel provides true and complete liberation. If you're sick and tired of where you're at, if you wonder how you're going to get past the bondage in your life, it's through Jesus Christ. It's through His good news. It's the Gospel that is the answer to every injustice. It's the Gospel that breaks the sin that you're enslaved to. The Gospel sets the captives free. It's the blood of Jesus that washes us clean. Jesus also said in verse 18, Recovering of sight to the blind. Jesus physically recovered sight to the blind. We see that in, in, in the Gospels. And even though He literally healed blindness, it was actually a symbol of a much greater blindness. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is the greater blindness. Right? I, I might be physically blind. That may be restored. Possibly. But if I still die, and, and, I, and I don't get that spiritual sight, I still perish. For those who can't understand what the Gospels are telling you, for those who just can't see what the Gospels are about when reading the Bible or when listening to a sermon or a message, ask God to recover the sight of your spiritual eyes. Ask God to give you that insight. Jesus came for the recovering of sight to the blind. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed, He came to set us free. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is all about the year of Jubilee. It's found in Leviticus chapter 25. And the year of Jubilee had a cycle every 50 years. And during that time of Jubilee, you know, debts were canceled and and slaves were freed. And I'm sure the United States wishes we had a Jubilee year this year. But, But Jesus knew that they knew about the year of Jubilee. He knew that. He knew that it was once in a lifetime that someone would experience this year of Jubilee. What Jesus is saying that is, right now, it's Jubilee every day. Every day because I'm here. I've arrived. Every day, He forgives our debts. Every day, He liberates us from the bondage. The kingdom has come, and it's right now. You don't have to wait 50 years for all the debts to be canceled. You don't have to wait 50 years anymore. I'm here. All debts canceled. Is this message being spoken of from our churches today? What, if, what are the churches of our generation saying today? If we were to survey our non-believing friends, our non-believing colleagues, uh, students from universities and neighbors and acquaintances about the message our churches are, are saying today, what would they say? I don't think any of them would say, oh, let me tell you what the churches are saying because it's, it's, it's this dramatic story of how God has actually come here on earth to proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. I don't think you will find a single non-Christian say that. And they won't say that because we as a church don't proclaim those things. We don't say those things. If we were to ask a non-believer what the church is about, we'd more likely hear about how the church takes these sides on political issues and, and that the elections are next week. And, and how the church is upset on certain issues and they've been ramping up on their stances on certain things and against certain things. Just like they have in previous elections, spending millions and millions of dollars to Christianize the nation. To Christianize the state, to Christianize the county, to Christianize the city. How much time and money does the church Spend trying to Christianize politics instead of meeting people where they're at proclaiming the kingdom of God? When will we learn our lesson? When will we ever learn our lesson? So the people listening to Jesus marveled and they really liked what Jesus was saying, what wonderful news they were receiving, but then there's this little change in verse 22. And all the spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? You notice that change at the end of verse 22? Is not this Joseph's son? See, Joseph was a carpenter. So he says, Hey, Eugene, didn't you and Jesus work together on that project down in Sephoris with his dad several years back? Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Do you think the stuff that he's saying is true? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've heard about the stuff that he's been doing in Capernaum, but we haven't seen it here in Nazareth. I, I think we need to see it ourselves. Yeah, we need to see it ourselves. Jesus, do some of that healing stuff right here in Nazareth. Let's let's see this miracle stuff that you're, you're talking about, that people are talking about. It's not on YouTube yet. we got to see it. So what initially was so full of promise and marvel was, was met with this cold skepticism right these guys had a problem but the problem wasn't the coming of the kingdom of God they were expecting that they really wanted that their problem wasn't about their lack of freedom or lack of sight people don't have a problem with that people actually like that who wouldn't want that right who wouldn't want to 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 have a kingdom who wouldn't like liberty from captivity? Who wouldn't like recovery of sight? Liberty from oppressions. Who wouldn't like that stuff? People like that. A lot. But when you throw it in, but when you throw in this stuff, like there's a way for you to attain all those things, and it's through Jesus. You crazy. I don't want Jesus. I want that stuff i don 't want that Jesus guy right you, you, but but don 't you want that that true uh, value of, of you know that, that that liberty from captivity that that sight that liberty from oppression? Yes, I want those things, but but I want it the way that I want it, and I want it the way that I like it see that 's a problem people have today, just like the people of Nazareth had people today like those in Nazareth don't have a problem with the coming of a kingdom. Right? We, we, we welcome something better. Right? We, they have a problem with how the kingdom was coming. Not that the, it's actually coming. Just how that it's coming. Those religious people in Nazareth, like some of the religious people in our churches today, didn't want it to come through Jesus Christ. Now isn't that weird? Because even though non-Christians might think this way, They don't want Jesus there. This is more towards God-believing people. He's speaking to people in the synagogue. He's speaking to us. That Jesus doesn't quite fit the bill because He doesn't quite do the things that we like it here in the church. Verses 23 and 24, And He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. We all know this to be true. It's so difficult to break the perception people had of you as a kid, isn't it? Right? Going to a family function, you're still looked upon that way, even though you're like 30 years older, you're still at the child's table. Thanksgiving's coming, you're at the child's table, you're like 50. And... <laughs> And you're still looked upon as the kid. You're still looked upon as a person that can't do this or can do this, even though you've raised like four kids or whatever. And even in the communities that you were a part of before, right? You know, so much has changed over time. You've matured so much. You've accomplished a lot in your life. But you go back to a setting where you grew up in that setting, and it seems like people just want to relive the past, and they want to put you back in the places that you used to be like, oh, you're the prankster now. You're that guy. Tell us a joke, right? So, so Jesus points to a couple people in history. Verses 25 through 27. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were, was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Why did Jesus mention Elijah and Elisha? Because when you go back in history to these guys, these guys weren't accepted amongst their own people even though they are heroes of the Jewish faith. Elijah and Elisha were significant people of God to bring about salvation to pagans, non-believing, uh, not believing in God people, but they weren't accepted by their own people. What Jesus is saying here is, Think about Elijah in relation to Zarephath. There were a lot of people in the land who were starving, but it was a foreigner who was on the receiving end of Elijah's generosity. Jesus was saying, think about Elisha in relation to Naaman. There were a lot of people afflicted with leprosy in Israel, but it was a foreigner, not a Jew, Naaman, who was healed. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why are they so mad? Why is the church so mad? This isn't anything new. Elijah went through it. Elisha went through it. Back in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus is going through this. What these guys had a problem with, what the church had a problem with, was that they were so mad that salvation was available to all. Salvation was available to all who would come regardless of social status, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender. These guys wanted a kingdom, but one that was fit for them, exclusive for them, special for them. Doesn't this sound strangely familiar in our day? You take a look at our conservative evangelical Christian circles. Do you notice a similar spirit between those circles and the Jews back in Jesus' day? In that synagogue in Nazareth? This isn't for non-Christians. This is for the church. Jesus is directing this to us. See, people people want to be open-minded. They want to be accepting to, to the fact that people need Jesus. Well, let's face it, a lot of them are two-faced about it. They don't want you unless you've changed something about yourself, unless you have some behavioral changes in your life. They won't say it to your face that they really don't like you in their heart. But the spirit is similar. They just won't say it to your face. And, and being outside the conservative evangelical circle, there's, there's a thought that the people outside the circle have chosen have put themselves in that despicable place. That they've chosen that lifestyle, that they've chosen those things, that that place outside the circle is so revolting to God. There's no possible way you can come in. That people outside the circle are so unlike us, so against our ideals, so against what we stand for. The people inside that circle cannot fathom the thought that God has a place for them inside they aren't to remain outside and we get really upset thinking that people like that can get into the kingdom and in concept we think we're like Jesus that we're oh we're standing for righteous things we're standing for the right things but if we start to have the idea of not liking someone out there in here we're the ones with the problem we have the problem so be careful trying To make the kingdom this ultra-special, this ultra-exclusive, this not gospel-centered gospel. That's where the Jews in Jesus' time were, and where many of the religious in our day are today. Keep those people out. They don't believe in what we believe in, let's put that barrier. Yes, we want you in here, but only if you make these certain changes about yourself. When those certain changes are sometimes cultural, they're not gospel it's not even like sin-related or something like that. It, it's, it's something ethics or morality, but it's not necessarily Christian. Where we want things on our terms with our own like people, and if you're different, then you're just not quite fit to come in. And what the people of Nazareth and, and these God-believing people were saying was, the salvation that, that Jesus came to proclaim, yes, those people need it but those people don't deserve it. And they were making that kind of a judgment. And the salvation that you, Jesus, proclaim to us, we deserve it, but we don't need it. Are we like that church? Are we that ungrateful? And that is the state that we find many churches in regardless of their size, regardless of whether they're on the cutting edge or what all the stuff that they're doing, when we as a church, when we as Christians have a state of mind like that, we're done. We're done. And to quote my favorite line in Aliens Game over, man. It's, we're done. Right? May we not become a gathering of people so lost in our self-righteousness that we say to ourselves, that salvation is not one that we really need even though we deserve it. Where we are so confused in our message that other people need it, but they don't deserve it. Think about that. Pray about that. Are, are, are you at a place where the people of Nazareth were where we were making those sorts of judgments? Verses 29 and 30. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. You know that Jesus guy? He hangs out with sinners. Can you believe it? He eats with them. With prostitutes, with tax collectors, with with all those people. Why isn't he hanging out with church folk? Why isn't he doing church things? There's, There's no way he's the Messiah. But that is precisely where you'll find him. That's where he hangs out. He's not going to look and act the way that many evangelical, conservative, Christian circles think that he'll look and act. He's not going to have a big hairdo with a tie and like goldy things or whatever. He's not, he's not going to look like that. He goes for the lost sheep. You don't do that in a suit. You pull up your bootstraps, you put your sleeves up, and you go. You find Him like that. He passed through their midst and He went away. Why did He do that? To find you. To find you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for Your forgiveness in misrepresenting You. I ask for forgiveness if we believe that we are worthy of Your grace, that somehow that we've earned it. Lord, help us to see those who need your gospel and not create this boundary and not make judgment on whether they deserve it or not. Help us to see our own spiritual poverty. Help us to see that we're in captivity. Help us to see our blindness. Help us to see our oppression. Jesus, you are the one to set us free and the righteousness is through you. And though we may make an effort towards that, we do not earn that. It is not by anything we have done, but what you have done on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.